Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. What a great word for this morning. Amen. He's been faithful through all these generations, so why would he fail now? Yeah, somebody was listening, four of you. (laughs) Folks, we ought to be shouting some of these things out, right? I mean, there should be a little bit of energy that's inside of our soul when we begin to hear some of these things. We shout at all kinds of things, but he's been faithful through all of the generations, so why would he fail now? He won't. Yeah, what a great song to remind us of uh, that truth. These are uh, things that we've been walking through even this summer, trying to remind ourselves of ancient truths that are still true today. We're not studying history, something that happened way long ago, and we're just trying to find some remnant of it. Uh, We are living in the middle of a season that has been created by God that enables us to have faith. Anybody here? Need faith to get through the week? Yeah. You need faith to be able to get through what you're going through? We're going to do a short series for kickoff that's going to accompany these uh, great worship leaders. I hope you were thankful for Marshall coming out. He's not done, but uh, yeah. But we're just going to remind you, and we're going to remind you of some familiar things. There's a lot of things this morning that could distract us. In fact, some of you come in here and the, the smell of smoke is not just hanging over Salem. It might have been right outside your back door. I had a couple of pictures sent to me from folks that are uh, closely related with the church here. One of a helicopter uh, that was dipping water right outside of their pond, right, as the fires are blazing just down here. Another one of all these tankers that are going there to an area where uh, there wasn't enough water. Uh, we had fires in Salem. Uh, it, it may be that uh, you live in North Salem or on West Salem, and if you're from West Salem, you don't care about South Salem. <laughs> Let her burn. But you're concerned this morning about, uh, you know, some of the stuff on your feed, the queen. War, do you know that we actually have folks in here with Ukrainian family that are concerned on a daily basis? It's not just intriguing to them, but they are literally concerned for the safety of their family. Not just a news article, uh, it's what is happening to my friends. You might be worried about war. Uh, 9-11, 21 years ago, we had a horrific attack, and we hopefully will not get over it uh, in the way that some people say, just get over it. But I do think we need to heal and be thoughtful about what is next. 9-11 can lead us to anger, or it can lead us to preparation and faithful gospel sharing. It should lead us to the second. There's a lot of things this morning that can distract us. But as I was getting ready for this passage, uh, I was reminded of something. Uh, There's a place as you go down I-5, you'll cross um, the river at uh, Roseburg. As you're going down south on I-5, you keep going down. You'll just cross this one section. You look down and it just passes you in a moment. But for me, every single time that I go over that I-5 bridge over the Umpqua River, I look down to the right And there's a corner 
that, that you can see down at the edge there, the, the hillside just comes straight down to the river. There's no houses that are on that. And right at the, the edge of where you can see from I-5, on the corner of the river right there, there's a rapid, and on the other side of that rapid, there's a little cave that's been cut out by the water. That was Aaron and I's cave growing up. You had to walk, I don't know how far it was. Uh, it felt like half a day's journey to get there from our house. We lived just down around the corner on a place called, appropriately, Fisher Road. A couple of uh, boys, we would go, when we were in grade school, we would hike up to that area, up to the rapids, before my dad knew how dangerous it was. We'd fish our way home. I can remember on a couple of occasions as I was looking uh, at the time, uh, only because I was supposed to be at work in like uh, a half an hour, but there was still one more fish to be caught, just one more cast. And I can remember, I'm not going to make it home unless I jump into the rapid, unless I jump into the river and let it take me. And so I did. I just had my rod and my gear on and I jumped in, swam home, and I was able to make it to work. We spent all of our days there. When we were young, it was after chores, you would go up there. When we got a little bit older, it was after chores and after a job. Uh, but there was always a season in autumn when the, the colors begin to kind of fade, the leaves begin to fall. Uh, and it was a reminder to us that that season of just being able to go kick around on the river was about to end. We're going to have to go to school, make something of ourselves. And there's a smell to the leaves on the edge of the riverbank that every single time that you smell it, it just takes me right back to that phase of life, that place, it takes me back home. And there's something about home, God willing, that there's something about home that should be settling. Not all of you have experienced that. But for me, it was that way. Home should settle you. It should feel familiar. And familiar things should remind you of home. Christina and I were on a walk at Minto, and we were walking along, and all of a sudden, I, I just caught a smell of the willows, some of the leaves that had fallen. The ground was a little bit wet next to the bank of the river there, and it smelled not like Salem, not like the Willamette. Praise the Lord, not like the Willamette. <laughs> it smelled like home. And, and just for a moment, right there, I just stop. And, and I'm not in Salem anymore. I'm right back there at that place that settles me. It feels like home where I remember all those little childhood memories with a uh, eagle claw, seven weight fly rod, and hopes of a big fish. Where mom and dad were at home and we were safe. Familiarity took me home. Why do I say that? I, we're going to use some familiar illustrations this morning. We're going to walk through a familiar passage, but we're going to run into a man who was listening to all of the confusion and the irritation in his brothers and sisters in the community. They were bothered by Jesus. But something that Jesus said struck a chord with him that was familiar. And instead of being angry, it took him to a place where he was hungry, settled, and he asks a question. It's one of the most pertinent questions in the Bible. Mark chapter 12 is where we find ourselves. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. As you're turning there, hopefully uh, you brought your Bibles this morning. And remember, sometimes we're not trying to belittle you. If you read off of your phone, uh, you just are second best. 
No. This is familiar for me, so uh, find it on your phone, turn that on if you, if you can. Uh, here's what has happened to Jesus at the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. Jesus has begun to teach and his authority has irritated the leaders. You can read that at the very end of chapter 11. They're bothered by his authority. In fact, they ask him a question, on whose authority do you do these things? And it's not just working miracles. They're mad that people are following him, that he's telling them what to do instead of saying, go listen to the Pharisees. They are irritated by his obvious authority. Then Jesus gives them a parable at the beginning of chapter 12 about the vineyard keeper, but it's in essence a parable of the gospel. Nobody would listen to the owner of the vineyard, so he sent his son, and the people who were renting the vineyard killed him. And they knew that Jesus was talking about them. So they're irritated by his authority. They're irritated by the gospel. But then a group of people, the Pharisees, that would be the religious right when you see that in there, joined up with a group called the Herodians. That would be the people in political power. Now, completely different from our day and age, back then, people that were religious also tried to join up with politics. They come trying to trap him. Now, what we would call this is co-belligerence because they actually did not like each other, but they wanted to take Jesus down so they respectively could have their own domains. They joined with them and they were irritated at Jesus' stance on taxes and response to government, but he wowed them there. Not to be outdone, the religious left, the Sadducees, and why do I say the left? They literally didn't believe in the spirit. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in heaven or anything after you die. They believed you should live by a religious code because it's the best thing to do and then you die and there is nothing after that. So they mock Jesus, and Jesus reminds them that there actually is power in the belief in the resurrection. There is a heaven, and someday they're going to have to stand before God. He turns them away. But Jesus does all this with an amazing spirit of kindness. And while all of this debate is going on, and and some of those phrasings may even spark a little something in you. I don't know if you can feel it, but you might even in your mind begin to fill in some of these historical moments with our current news cycle. But in the midst of all of that, all of a sudden, listening to the way that the discussion was being unpacked, this scribe, a man who by choice had decided because it's the most important thing that he could possibly do, he was going to read those Old Testament scriptures and word by word, careful to copy every single word just as it was in the original documents. Not just copy the words, but copy the size of the words, the spacing between the words, and how many pages would be uh, necessary. It would follow every single aspect of how it was written down because he thought it was the greatest possible thing. And as Jesus begins having this interaction with these people, this man who has spent so much time in the word of God, hears something that feels like home. I've been writing the thoughts of God for a generation. And the way he speaks feels like what I've been writing. There's something inside of his heart that just instantly moved towards Jesus. And it says he was watching, verse 28, one of the scribes approached when he had heard them debating And saw that Jesus answered well. He asked him which commandment is the most important of all. Just know this as we read this. Don't read this as an angry man. Don't read this as another attack. 
Read this as somebody who in the gentleness as Jesus has responded to all of the other critics and all of the stuff that's going on, in the brilliant way that he responds, it sparks this call of home. And this scribe says, he knows what I should focus on. Let's stand and read this portion of scripture together. It says this, and one of the scribes approached when he had heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered well. And he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, no hesitation. The most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. By the way, Jesus said that there. You ought to underline those words and find out what he's talking about. Verse 32, then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You correctly said that he is one and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all of your heart and with all of your understanding and with all of your strength And to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. Do you believe that actually happened? It did. You may be seated. Uh, Just a side note, this is super important, uh, but we can't unpack it this morning Notice that Jesus has one way of saying that. He uses four different descriptors there. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the scribe, when he says, oh yeah, you've said this right. At first blush, when you read this, it's kind of like when you get your Starbucks order. I don't know if you've done this. You said, yes, I'd like a, a, a medium vanilla latte. And, and, uh, and they tell you, oh, so you want a, uh, you want a grande, right? latte with vanilla and they say it differently but it's the same thing but they already know what you want right they just put it in a new order so you know that you're basically wrong but I can still help you (laughs) we think that that's what is happening with the scribe right here but actually the scribe is going through ancient teaching and he only has three categories there why because in the original language there in Hebrew it only said three different things with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind Jesus does something that is brilliant and this helps us when you start struggling with why does my translation not say exactly what the Greek is cuz you don't speak Greek so we try to unpack what those things are Jesus says they don't they're not speaking Hebrew let me tell all of the masses as they're listening this is actually what I as God wanted them to get at Just kind of pop that in the side of your Bible and and realize as you are reading through these things, you can still understand what God intended for you, even if it's not the original language. Amen? You can trust this book. Jesus gives us a translation note there. A little bit of commentary, a lot of help. I want you to notice something, though. He tells him what is the greatest commandment, and right away Jesus says you must love the Lord your God. Now I want to stop right there, and I want you to hear something. As soon as I tell you, you need to love God. That is our focus for this three weeks. Love God, love others, reach the world. It's the old simple church that we're going to be walking through. But as soon as you hear you need to love God, I just want you to stop in your own heart right now. If I say this is the commandment, 
This is what we need to be about this year. Love God. How many in your hearts right now, when I say you need to love God, have thought, I need to love him more? Or what's the checklist? Or I don't know if I love him enough. Or I don't know if anybody around me would say that I love him enough. How many of you already, did? It, it, it starts to grab a hold of you. And instead of being lighter, instead of being encouraged, you're like, I do need to love God more. And you have a whole list of things that have gotten in the way. And you're in your mind not wanting to tell your neighbor what you're thinking through is the problem. That's not what Jesus' intent is. He's speaking to people that already want to be there. Have you ever spoken to a group of people that are 6 a.m. golfers? Not just golfers, but 6 a.m. golfers. And you look at that group of people and they will hear somebody say, man, do you want to drop five strokes off of your game? Yes, I do. You need to be here six in the morning and you're going to practice these swings and here's this professionally, he's going to help you. And you know what they all do? They all show up. It's crazy. That game is not that fun. (laughs) They love it. They're there. He's telling them, this is what you need to do, but there's already a hunger that's inside them. There's an anticipation. Uh, Have you looked at those mountain climbers? They're known affectionately within their own culture as dirt baggers. Why? Because they just grab a sleeping bag and all their climbing gear and they throw it out in the dirt. They sleep at the foot of the mountain so they can climb on the side of the cliff before it gets hot. And they go out there and they climb. And imagine if you told somebody, I, I can show you one of that group of people. I can teach you how to climb. El Capitan, you want to be able to master that place? I'll show you. And they would say, I'll do it. I don't want to be out there bleeding fingers, my arm feeling like they're stretched way too big. Some of them love it. You want to get better at this? Focus here. Young man or woman that's in love, there's a delight in their eyes. Do you want to know how you can win that person's heart? Focus here. This is what Jesus is doing. He's not telling you to go love, and he doesn't want a a weight of bricks to fall on your heart. He actually is saying, "Don't, don't you know? There's something that should be calling you. And he's speaking to a scribe who heard all of the discussions, and something whispered to his heart and said, there's an answer here. And he says, you want to know what the answer is? Love God. And instead of it being more bricks, the scribe says, that's it. You have answered well. I want you to notice just a couple of things. First, I want you to notice that love has ingredients. It says there are four things there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. They, they make up one thing, the love of God. But he says, out of your heart, out of your soul, out of your mind, out of your strength. And this is not a list that Jesus is having you make. He's not having you check off. Okay, got heart, Dale. Uh, soul, got it. Mind, uh, I'm struggling there a little bit, but I'll get that under control. Strength, okay. No, he's actually given you a pattern. These ingredients are, are a pattern that make up maturity. Heart. The heart is the seat of the affections, the center of our being. This is the immaterial part of who we are. When you begin to just turn off the lights and begin to think about what it is that you crave, that you think about, that, you, that is born out of your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart most of all, for out of it springs life. I have uh, this familiar illustration. I told you we're going to do some stuff that is familiar. This is one that's been used on our stage before. But I just want you to think about this for a moment. This is uh, a balloon that just because of what is inside of it has elevated. Love should make you feel lighter. 
If you love something, you should feel lighter. Think of somebody, something, some place that you love, and as you think about that, it should elevate, right? It's also a picture of what it means to have the Spirit of God in you. If the Spirit of God is in you, it's automatically going to be lifting you up. It's going to be buoyant. It's going to be tugging at you towards heaven rather than settling down at earth. Jesus is saying, I'm I'm speaking to these people who already have a craving in their heart for God. There's already an inclination for him. They've responded to him. And this is happening. They're elevating. I'm just telling them how you get where your heart already wants to go. Love God. And the elevation is happening. Now, we have said before that there are other ways to have your life filled up. You can be filled with other things. But this balloon right here does not elevate. Anybody remember? How do you make sure that this balloon stays as elevated as this balloon on a continual basis? You can have them elevate. But you know how you get this balloon to stay right here just like this one? You smack it. All right? Some of us think in order to keep our family in line, in order to keep ourselves in line, in order to keep other people in church in line, what we need to do is smack them. Right? We can get them to elevate for a moment. I can smack you for a weekend and you're going to show up and smile a little bit. You're going to be nice to your neighbor. You're going to do something decent. But smacking is not one of the things we offer at the church. That's not what you should be focused on. Why? Because the problem is actually here. You know what we should be doing? What Jesus is doing, we should point out. You want to do the most important thing? Love the Lord your God. And automatically, this is going to start happening. There's going to be something tugging at the inside of you that is moving toward heaven. Yield to the Spirit of God rather than to the base things. Yield to that. Your heart. But he says also, out of your soul. That's the distinctest of an individual. That's the part that makes us us. For for lack of a better illustration, and illustrations always fall apart, let me just have you wrap your mind around that there's helium there, but we see it inside the happy face balloon, right? That happy face balloon is different from the red one. I can differentiate it, what's on the outside, but there's also something on the inside that makes it it. I can give you a few descriptors, but you can recognize that. Do you know that your friends and family can recognize you from a distance? Sometimes it's from how you look, Sometimes it's from how you move, act. Have you ever heard somebody's laugh that's familiar and you're like, I know they're here? There are certain things that make you, you. Notice I didn't say, have you ever heard somebody grump from a distance, all right? And someone goes, oh, I know they're here. (laughs) There's something that makes you, you. That's your soul. There's a third piece here, your mind. This is the thinking part of you. Now, he's breaking apart two pieces in a Hebrew thought here, but he says this is important for you to understand. The the mind is that thinking and understanding and especially that aspect of morality. So you have your heart, your inclinations that you have. You have your mind that begins to shape what it is that you're actually craving. Your soul ties those two things together. But imagine for a moment if you were all heart, all feeling, all cravings and no direction. There is a guy that took a bunch of weather balloons, filled them with helium like this, tied them to a lawn chair. His name is actually Lawn Chair Larry. 
Larry Walters, famous story, most of you know this. Uh, he was intending to stay tethered into his backyard. He cut the first two strings on his tether. He had a little radio in there and a backpack in case he got up too high. Uh, he was talking to his wife saying, this is really exciting. A gust of wind came and snapped that last tether and he shot up over 18,000 feet. And he said, whoops. Now, he began to drift for almost an hour. Uh, he was 10 miles off course. He was supposed to be going the other direction according to his brilliant calculations, which had completely been wrong, other than the lawn chair would lift. He shoots up there, and he ends up in actually the pathway for these Boeing jets. And so passenger jets are having to reroute to another location because lawn chair Larry is drifting through the L.A. area. 18,000 feet, he's way up too high, the air is getting thin, he's not thinking very clearly, so he starts shooting the balloons so that he can drop a little bit. He levels off to 16,000 feet and five degrees Fahrenheit. Breathes a little better, but can't move, and he's thinking, I'm not going to be able to shoot these balloons accurately. I'm, you know, what happens? All of a sudden, the whole thing pops, and he comes shooting down to the ground. Lawn chair Larry eventually has the courage to pop enough balloons, drifts down, they get tied up in some power lines. It causes an outage in the area. A bunch of grade school kids see him and they're so excited about who he is. He starts signing popped weather balloons and giving them to children. He still can't think clearly and so the lawn chair is there and rather than thinking it's historic, one kid says, hey, can I have your lawn chair? And he goes, sure, as they are putting him in cuffs and taking him away. $4,000 fine for violating uh, the FAA, another government resource well used. <laughs> Lawn chair Larry. You know, a lot of things can happen without using your mind, but I don't recommend it. <laughs> the mind is actually the part of us that takes those cravings and the inclinations of the soul. It's the part of us that decides truth, that disciplines our cravings, and that directs our emotions. And Jesus says, not just with your cravings, not just with who you are, but with your mind, begin to shape those things down and with all your strength. This is literally a word that in Greek just means with all of your muchness. Okay, just for a moment, don't say the name out loud, but have you ever run into somebody who is a little bit much? Muchness. They exude something. They're constantly active. They're always there. They're always present. They're always active, uh, making themselves known. He says that in every single person, there's a bit of muchness. There is energy. There is something in you that wants to have longevity. All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. Jesus says that we need to live a focused life. The scribe says to him, you're right, teacher. You've correctly said there's one God, no one else except him, and these things are true. There is something that man has done to highlight the, the idea of being able to focus attention, and it's a laser. I don't know if you've seen, uh, and I'm going to take the most rudimentary idea behind a, a laser, but a laser just takes light, Okay? captures that light, puts it inside of a container, begins to focus that light and then aim it in a direction. Light just on its own in here, this place is filled up with light, but you can't put that in a container, you allow it to bang back and forth and do all the things that are there. For those of you that are 
concerned about the science of this statement, uh, just <laughs> roll with me. It's an amazing picture of going from cravings captured within a soul, using your mind to focus those things. But it's no good with a laser unless you can point it at something or use it for, for something. Jesus says, I don't want you just to be focused, to be focused. I don't want you just to take a, a bunch of steps or to do a certain thing. I want you to be focused on God, laser focused. Take all of those cravings and all the things that make up you and put, wrap your mind around it according to what scripture would have and with a laser sharp focus, focus on God. Make him the thing that you are pointing towards. Focus life is powerful. We move according to this scripture. If it really is a picture of maturity rather than a list to be checked off, we move from ignorance to craving. We move from craving to direction. And we move from direction to longevity. Jesus says, as you are going through that maturing process, Keep your eyes focused on the Lord. Make him the principle that you are focused on. Allow all of your thoughts to drift towards him. This is the expectation. That what are the natural results? Love has natural results. Well, if you take a laser, and we just stick with that analogy, do you know that when that focused light is gathered together that they can actually cut through metal? Focused light like that has been seen from space. Focus light like that, lasers, will kill a stormtrooper. <laughs> you take all of this natural light, you'll be able to concentrate that into one area, and you focus that. It cuts through barriers. There are some barriers right now in your life, and I'm going to say this. The only thing that will get rid of that barrier and help you to move ahead is if you focus your energy on God and not the waves. You focus your energy on God and not the mess. It'll cut through. Focused love also causes secondary things to fall into place. When you focus on the Lord, all of the other things that could capture you will disappear. The old hymn says that we should turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will, does anyone remember that? Grow strangely dim. Think about that phrase. The things of earth will grow strangely dim. Why strangely? Because you walked in here and they were so bright. That bill to pay, that relationship to fix, the mess in the world, all the problems with our government, the things with the schools, all of the stuff that is up inside the compartment and will not allow you to sleep, all of that will grow strangely dim. Where's the noise? In the light of his glory and grace, in the light of his face. Focus love will cause secondary things to fall into place. Jesus says, when you focus on me, the rest of those things don't matter. But also focus love anticipates a fulfillment. Notice verse 34. He, he goes through this whole interaction. This little scribe has been, and I announce him as a little guy because he, he's not part of the big wigs that are out there chewing on Jesus and trying to wow the crowds. This is a guy who has been drawn to write down the truth of God and he wants to make sure Israel gets it right. And his heart is touched. 
Jesus tells him the greatest commandment. He responds and says, that's really how I understand it. In verse 34, it says, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely. Remember, this man comes to him because he sees Jesus's beautiful response. He's like, that guy feels like home. And Jesus saw that this scribe, not part of his inner 12, not part of the ones who had been teaching, listening to Jesus's teaching, but when he saw that this scribe had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from home. And no one dared to question him any longer. Folks, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, Jesus is not just giving us something to do. He's telling you, do this and I'll meet you there. He's giving us a place to meet. He's saying, I'm going to fulfill that relationship. You want to be close to me? You want to know what should govern your life? You want to know the place of greatest joy? You want to know what's going to order all of the things that are necessary for you to have life and godliness? Meet me here. Focus on the Lord. That's what he says. And he says the kingdom of God. There is an amazing thing that we get to do this morning. We're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. Because once again, we're not just studying a set of historical facts. We're not just studying uh, some things that have happened in the past. We're studying things that are relevant today. Jesus said, not only was his death, burial, and resurrection for you, but he said he is coming again. Do you believe it? And the only way for us to believe that and to trust it and to rest in it is if we keep our eyes focused on him. In a moment, we're going to have... The Lord's Supper, it really is about loving God until we see him face to face. If you did not get uh, this little cup and the, the bread on your way in, just raise your hand. The men are ready to be able to do that and keep them raised until somebody brings that to you if you didn't get one of these. But this is what the scripture asks us to do before we actually participate in the Lord's table. This is a moment for believers but it asks you, Scripture does, to investigate your own heart to see whether or not there is something between you and the Lord. Has there something eclipsed your love of God? What it tells us is all we have to do at that moment is confess it, to say, Lord God, this is what is between you and I. You confess it. He'll wash it clean. But this is an opportunity to look at the Lord and say, Lord, I see what you did for me. Please cleanse my life. Forgive me of these things. If there is something in your life that's between you and another brother, this is the thing that I'm asking you to do. Confess that to the Lord, but take care of it today. Go tell them. Ask for forgiveness. We'd have a moment before we participate in these elements to reflect and say, Lord, here is my life. I want to put my eyes on you. I want to have a laser-sharp focus on who you are. Will you grant me that? Inspect my heart. Show me what it is that might be getting in the way. Confess those things, and he'll meet us here as we take these elements. Let's pray. Father, as uh, we get ready to participate in these elements, I pray that you would help us to inspect our own hearts. Help us to focus on Christ. Help us to see what it is that he has actually done for us. Not what we need to do still, but what Christ has accomplished. Father, give us that ability to have a laser sharp focus 
on you, to love you and reap the benefits. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Just take a moment and familiarize yourself with uh, this. At the top is the bread, and we'll start there. Just open that side up. And this is the passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that guides our remembrance. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you flip that over and open the cup side, the scripture continues. It says, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The scripture concludes, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, we ask you to help us proclaim your death until you come again. Help us to announce the risen Christ. Help us to remind others of what has happened in not just history, but in our own lives. Help us to put you on display. We do pray, Father, even as we start this series, as we start this year, that we would be known as a people who love you, who have a laser-sharp focus on your will, your desire. We take our orders from your word, but we live a life that would be approved by you. Father, help us to be eager for it, not to feel the weight of emptiness when we hear that we should love you, but a joy that that would be what our heart desperately desires to do. There would be an eagerness to find out how we could do that more readily. Father, make us a people that put you on display. Help us to do that joyously. And I pray, Father, that you would increase worshipers here, focus that are, people that are focused on you, whose hearts are fully yours. We pray you'd accomplish this in Jesus' name. Amen.